Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zaffert. David Gemmel has come quite a long way since September last year when he publicly confessed to wanting to cause grievous bodily harm to a street man. After a bit of soul-searching, he decided that in spite of the fact that there are so many of them, he actually knows little about their hopes, dreams, and aspirations. And so, he went about interviewing a host of different people living on the streets to find out more about them. He joins me now to tell me what he has learned. David, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Good morning, Sharice. David, you've come on quite a far journey. Um, But one of the things you mentioned in your first article is that you're driven by guilt, to a large extent, to undertake this project. And I'm just wondering, a year later, has your guilt um, been a search? Some of it's dissipated. Um, I actually started in anger because I wanted to run the guy over. And then then the guilt arrived because I felt I had everything and, you know, running him over wasn't going to help anybody. And it was more out of sort of curiosity. What do they really work at? No, no great philanthropic um, motive there, but... The guilt has sort of gone away in a sense because they're not that pathetic that you've got to feel sorry for them. You know, it's more about how can we help them because I found most of them turned out to be a lot nicer than I thought they would be. I don't know why I didn't think they would be, but they were nice. They were polite. A lot of them were eloquent. In fact, somebody who I used to send my articles to just to do a pre-read before I sent it in, said to me, it's amazing how all these people are so nice. <laughs> but that's what I found. So the guilt sort of disappeared a bit. And I also did feel that in a very, very tiny way, I was improving one or two people's lives. So I felt better about that. And when we first spoke, um, when your initial article came out, we were trying to understand why people are on the streets. Are you any more clear as to that reason? Yeah, what what I found there is no single reason. It's it's it's, it's in one case it's a tragedy. In a, in another case, it's they've just lost the will to sort of do anything. Um, in other cases, um, it's drugs and, and and those sort of things. Um, but there was no single reason. Almost in every case, the, a lot of the the chaps who were up here, their first reason was that they couldn't find work where they came from, so they'd come looking for work here. But that wouldn't just confine them to the streets necessarily, but they they still ended up on the streets. You know, it was difficult to find a common thread. And then you also made an, a concerted effort to look at different um, groups or categories from, you know, um, broom sellers to mm. jugglers to – do you want to talk about the different – I mean, is there a hierarchy of poverty among them? Y- yeah, I think – it's, it's a paradox. The ones who work the hardest and probably earn the least are those recyclers. I call them trash junkies. Really? Yeah. Um, it wasn't my original name, but I stole it from someone because I thought it was very clever. The trash junkies, they, they're addicted to trash. But they work so hard, it's unbelievable. Um, and they get paid so little for their efforts, which is why they work so hard. To, to, you know, the, 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 it's a double-edged sword. But... Um, the, the hierarchy is, is, is I don't know, I, you, you know, it's hard to know. I, the, I met a salesman who, he sold everything. He sold avos, he sold golf balls, he, whatever was available, he would sell it. And he just loved his job. And, he, and I said, but, but how can you love something where one day it's avos, one day it's golf balls? He said, no, no, I'm a born salesman. He said, I just love selling. And I think he, he did quite well for himself. And it, he, he, but, yeah, there was no real hierarchy. Um, they're all on the streets. Ultimately, they're all yeah, on the streets. Yeah, they're all in the streets. None of them seem to earn particularly well. 
you know, the, if they did, it was because they worked very hard. The jugglers, if they stay there all day, they make reasonable money. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I never really thought about that. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of um, living on the streets, you know, you talk about the trash junkies. Probably the Jewish community know more about, about him mm. because of the Hugo Greenhood project, yeah. which has really captured the imagination of the community here. But they, we know, live in groups almost <laughs> for security reasons. Some live by themselves, some in twos. Have you kind of got an indication of the social interaction between street people? The, yeah, a lot of those... Um, the, the, the recyclers, as I call them, um, the interesting thing is that they, during the week they lived on the streets because they couldn't get home, whatever. But they all had somewhere, virtually all of them had somewhere to go on the weekend. How good or wonderful it was, I've no idea, but they had a place to go. But during the week, they would sort of band up like mm. the, the, the guys you mentioned. Um, they They were in a group of about 12, and they sort of stuck together. But wherever you find them, there's two or three that stick together, and... And they all seemed to have the same pattern. They all had somewhere to go on the weekend, whether it was down by the river. And then, like the the, the mob I first interviewed, um, he was telling me there's 74 of them living below Pick and Pay, down mm. below Nickel Highway down there. I mean, that's a massive 74. mob of people, yeah. But then during the week, they were, they all disperse because they go their different ways while they're collecting trash and that. And one of the articles, you, you kind of looked at Victor Frankl's reasons for, for living and why some people make it and some people don't. And I found that a particularly interesting article because it looked at maybe our perception of what their lives are like may be different also to what their lives really are like. And I wondered if you found that kind of uh, – that you found out maybe some of them wanted to be there or maybe they didn't want to be there, but you speak about hope. And I just wonder if you can explore that a bit. Yeah, I, I found with um – a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them had a tiny little dream. And there was two things about that. First of all, is w- what interested me was how small the dream was. You know, if I, I said to you, I often used to say to them, if, you, if I gave you a lot of money or if you won a lot of money, what would you do? And this, this one would go buy a bucky. And this one would start a little spaza shop for 7,000 rand. This one would start a knitting school for virtually cost to the, the cost of printing a brochure. Um, they didn't have these big dreams, but they held on to their little dreams. You know, I mean, I see a lot of them still, you know, if I'm near the lights, they come and chat to me. And they're still holding on to their dream. You know, the the knitting lady still wants to start her knitting school. Um, So they they all sort of seem to have a reason for getting out of bed because one day they sort of decided it's going to improve and they're going to get out of bed. A lot of that Viktor Frankl stuff, though, was what, what I was intrigued was I have friends who sometimes can't get out of bed mm. and, 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 and just aren't putting any effort into life or anything else. And they get depressed. And, and you read about them all the time. You know, Sansa hung himself because he was depressed. And Robin Williams, you know. And you think, how is it with everything you, you get depressed? And then most of these people yeah. weren't depressed. It was an interesting. I'd ask them, do you get depressed? They said, oh, no, they get really low, but yeah. no time for depression. Yeah. You know, like the old saying is there's no depressed people in a sinking life, life raft. Yeah. Um, so they're fighting actually for survival. But that, that was it. But they had a reason. You never found them. They were just saying, no, I've just got to get up and be here so I can be here tomorrow or whatever. They, they had a reason. They sort of thought, no, one day I'll have a bucky or one day I'll be making these things or one day I'll do this or one day I'll do that. Th- those are the ones who I found the most interesting. I mean, it, it, they're all different, but they all seem to have a reason, which was the Viktor Frankl thing was mm. that, that people have a reason to live 
generally survived longer than people who didn't have one. And what also struck me, one of the articles that you wrote, is when you are delivering blankets um, together with a specific company. And you, at some point there were so many people you didn't realize how many there were. And I wonder if we have any sense of how many people are living on the streets. It's, it's, it was the most frightening experience in terms of just that the, the, the problem is as big as it is. I mean, you know, I have no fears of going up and talking to those guys. And they're all, you, you'd be amazed. A guy emerges from a, a bundle of plastic and cardboard and he sees you and you say morning and he gets morning, sir. And he smiles or, or, and they all chatted happily and none of them asked me for anything. You know, I'd buy them a cup, cup of coffee or, or whatever. But what I couldn't get over as we drove around, because I had this dedicated driver driving me around. His territory was downtown Joburg. That's where I wanted to be. How many there were? Oh, it was depressing. He said once, we couldn't go down there. He said, a lot of them down there, but we can't go down there. And I said, why not? And he said, they'll mob us. He Mm -hmm. said, they're just so desperate for anything in their lives. He said, we'll get mobbed. So apart from all the ones I saw, and the number was overwhelming, there were these other people I didn't even see. And is anything being done? I mean, I know you're helping them. And <laughs> yeah, in a tiny, is there tiny any? Way, yeah. But is there any kind of? Do you have a sense that somebody's taking responsibility from them at some level of government? There, there are a lot of organisations. That's what the other thing I discovered. You know, I thought I was a lone ranger in the beginning. Check me, I'm finding all these people. But then I found people <laughs> who are coaching them. You know, acting in the, the Shakespearean mob, um, other people who run soup kitchens. The most unlikely person people um, I mean the strip club down in Dravonia they supply their food every morning to the Methodist church which goes out and gives That's it fantastic. out I know it's amazing I mean you drive past and you think oh look at that place strip club horrible whatever you cannot believe how much food they put out and how good it is uh, the, the, the guy from the church said to me he said I'd, I'd take this stuff home if I wasn't giving it out he said it's better than I get it home it's gourmet stuff um, so I was hugely surprised how many people are helping and been helping for years. And, you know, I was Johnny come lately. I really was. Um, but officially, no, I didn't come across any really impressive, um, happenings and I'm sure they're out there. I just didn't find them. But what I did see, just talking about the sleeping, the, the people who sleep rough in Cape Town, they get, they have a system. They, they have a few, um, I don't know what you call them, homes where they, Put these guys up if they have a, a, a coupon. So you can go buy a book of coupons, and it's 10 rand a, a coupon. And if you see a guy sleeping out, you go give him the coupon, and he can go get it, have a shower. He can have a night in a bed and, and, and everything else. And they're doing that in Cape Town. I've got three of these big places for them. And, and I've no idea how well that's working. you know. Um, but, but it was just one of the things I came across. And I thought there's something you could pro- possibly introduce here. And I don't know if anyone's doing it, but I didn't come across it. Um, you, I mean, you talk about the incredible work that is being done within the community, and I just wonder, do you, I know of a success story of somebody who, and I, he was my Uber driver when I was in Cape Town, to, to the airport, he was a Nigerian who was living on the streets in Cape Town and now owns two cars that Cop are both used for Uber. And I just wondered also if you'd come across people that you felt really, given the opportunity, would be entrepreneurs, small business entrepreneurs. Or uh, yeah, some of them were, were, were quite impressive with this. The guy with his dog, out, uh, Chris and his dog Stompy, out, out in the fast deep south there. Um, and Stompy wears sunglasses. It's the funniest thing. He can shake them off any time, but he doesn't, the dog. 
<laughs> Chris put them on him one day idly for fun, and he put them, made them loose so the dog could get rid of them. And the he shook them off once, and since then he's never shaken them off. So you have the dogs, <laughs> but now Chris can make the most beautiful bird feeders out of um, bamboo, whatever you call it. And he made one, and I, I think one of the I published it in one of the papers, but. Um, now he he he's got an order from somebody over a gardening shop who says I'll take as many as you can make, but he can't afford the tools, he can't uh. afford the space, he can't afford the, and he's the one who wants to buy a bucky. But but given a chance, I reckon he'll turn his life around. He's such a nice, delightful, hardworking, decent chap. Um, the other one was uh, I mentioned to you earlier was Pappy, the 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 guy from the DRC, the Frenchman who plays guitar, also out that way. Um, when he started in South Africa, he was a car guard, and right at the bottom, he, you know, no uniform, just down the street and everything else. And then he went up to being uniformed and working for a, a group of people. I never really got behind that. But from the car guard, one day somebody, he said he could play guitar, could he, somebody, and so he said, they, you should busk, you'll make more money. So he then started busking. He then brought out a CD. Look, it's, he's still a long, long way from being hugely successful. He sold a few CDs, given some away and everything. It took a lot of money for him to make it. But he's very well known in that area. I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of no. the, the area, but he's well known that everybody comes and chats to him and likes, and he's just, he's growing. You can watch him growing, you know, in front of your eyes. There's a lot of them who aren't going to, but. Yeah, and mm. you wanting to bring out a coffee table book that will help finance some of these projects. Do you want to tell me about that? Yes, um, well, the, the idea is basically, you know, I've got all this material, um, and and I I just think you know to to dr- stop it now and and just let it sort of dribble out to, to nothing. Um, it's just so disappointing, you know. Maybe we could finish with a, you know, a blast. Have the coffee table book, put it out, and then give a percentage of the proceeds. I'll, I'll get the book sponsored and, and, and made for nothing so that, that there will be decent proceeds, you know, not just your normal terrible royalties you get <laughs> in the book business, but, um, and, and then give them a decent share. And my point is this is, is, is if I go see these guys and I give them 200 rand or 300 rand, it doesn't change anything in their lives. It means they can eat for three more days or whatever. But if I went and gave them 10 grand or five grand, I don't know what the amounts are, but, but if you gave them a lump sum, but a reasonable one. And the one example that springs to mind is, is the Roseman, Johannes. He's the most delightful guy down in, uh, I think it's Jeff Milan down there. And he's been selling roses forever, and he stays in his t- up until 11 o'clock at night on on Saturday nights and things. And he's looking after eight other people. His family's nine people. And one of them is his son who's in a wheelchair and has to be fed and everything else, can't feed himself. And I said to him, if I gave you a lot of money, what would you do? Oh, he says, I'd start a spaza shop at my house. I said, would you be allowed to? He said, yes, no problem. And I said, would people support you? He said, of course they would. Yeah, I've got all my friends around and all this. And I said, why don't you do it? Oh, he said, it costs too much money. I said, like what? He said, oh, it's too much. And I said, tell me. He said, oh, six or seven thousand rand. I just looked at him and I thought, you know, give him ten grand and you change his life. And it's not a lot of money in real terms. So if, if we can do the coffee table, because that's the plan, try and bring it out before the end of the year. And it's just be, the, the interviews, I did try and cover the whole aspect of street people from the law to, um, 
some philosophy, my amateur philosophy, bubblegum philosophy, as I call it, um, on these people and that, and, and also look at some solutions and just put it all together in a book. It would be a nice souvenir to give to somebody from overseas. It would be good for companies to hand out and be seen to be doing good by buying the book, and it would be a nice pl- well, present for their, their clients. Well, one of the things I've enjoyed so much about your columns is your humor. You know, I really have. <laughs> it's not an easy topic to, to kind of bring humor in, and you have. And as you kind of wrap up on the projects, um, obviously six months is a long time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all been at your own experience as it were, your time in terms of traveling and getting to know people. Are there any further groups or people that you feel that if you had more time um, you'd like to carry up on? Or do you feel this has been a good project, it's almost a year, it's time to wrap up? Um, yeah, that was the feeling now. But, but as for going forward, um, I'm friendly with a fellow called Andy Rice, who's a marketing guy. And he said to me, look, we, we, maybe what we've got to do is look for another platform, another medium to, to, to get this out. You've tried the hard, you know, the hard newspaper market, which, which is a diminishing market because everything's electronic and that. And I do know people like Branko who, who does the Daily Maverick and I know Alec Hogg who does, you know, I can write for them anytime I want to. Um, perhaps I can go to them and say, listen, you know, you don't have to pay me for this, but just, just let's run these articles. Because now I'm in the habit when I'm, when I'm driving and some irritating person comes and taps on my window, I always wind it down and I try and chat to see if he's interesting. And if he's interesting, I, I, I start thinking, hey, you know, I could do some more interviews because I do yeah. find them interesting. Yeah. And, and, the, and if you had to take a takeaway message for you, kind of six months down the line or a year down the line, what if, what if for you has been, you, you wanted to go out, you wanted to learn about them. What have you learned? What has been the most revelation? It's just how similar they are to, 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 to me and to my friends and acquaintances in that, in that they family people, they care about their kids. They, they seem to have some sort of standards, not all of them, obviously, but they seem to, they were polite, they were, they were grateful. They all, just about everyone phoned me and thanked me for being in the paper. Um, I'm sure you've got a whole new <laughs> bunch, a whole of new bunch of friends. Bunch of friends. But when you sit with them, you know, I often sit. I go driving past the knitting lady, Michelle, and I see her, and I've got 15, and I say, "Come, let's go have coffee." And we go and have coffee, and it's not like to, talking to a destitute person mm. who's standing on the street corner. It's like talking to my friend Michelle, and mm. she tells me about the cats that she picked up, and she tells me about this, and she's got a problem with that, and and we have a, a hell of a nice chat. And then I say. Bye. And, and, you know, I'm trying to make sure she doesn't hug me. <laughs> uh, we only have one minute left, which means yeah. we have, um, well, means theoretically I should stop, but I do have one last question. Sure. And that is, um, you, you, your last article talks about are we encouraging beggars or not? And if you could give one piece of advice to the public, what would it be? I, I think just buy stuff, reward the entertainers, everything else. But if somebody comes with a cup to your window, don't give him anything. Because you're just encouraging him getting free money. And uh, in the rest of Africa, they don't give people free money. Money is so hard to come by, they don't give people who don't work money. I wouldn't give beggars. I'd give the, the dustman, the literary guys, anyone who's doing anything and for the selling, money. Yeah, selling, selling, yeah. Doing something whatever. for the money, give it to them. We have to leave it there. But you and I have a deal, which yes. I'm going to share. Uh, and that is once your book is published, you're back I'm here again. Very sweet. Thank you so much. And um, then we'll have a chance to also explore, hopefully three months down the line, how and what and where we're yeah. at. Thank you so and much. And any new insights. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sharice. Thank you so much. That was David Gemmel, who is an author and journalist about this um, homeless project that he has undertaken.